Thank you uh, for the special. Uh, it was very moving and makes it a little bit easier to preach. Take your Bibles, please. Second Kings chapter 6 and keep it open there. Second Kings chapter 6. My great-great-great-grandfather was a fellow named Richard Mills and he arrived in Sydney Cove in 1800, which is only 12 years after the First Fleet. And his uh, daughter married my great-great-grandfather, whose name was William Young. That's where you get the Young name from. And by the way, Richard Mills was a highwayman in, in England, brother. He used to rob on the highway and he had his life sentence commuted to... Sorry, his death sentence commuted to life imprisonment in the colonies. But he did his time and was emancipated. He was freed from the prison there in Sydney Cove. And Richard Mills was one of the first 10 land grant holders in the place called Bathurst. Bathurst is Australia's oldest inland settlement. And Governor Lachlan Macquarie, he he named Bathurst as a a town uh, or a locality in 1815. And in 1818, the government of the day, headed up by Lachlan Macquarie, gave out 10 land grants, five to emancipated uh, prisoners and five to free settlers. And so uh, Richard Mills was one of those uh, fellows there. So, um, so in the young family, we're, we're all a bunch of convicts, crooks and so on. So just, just rem- remember that, okay? Um, but um, I won't bore you with my family's history, but I love Australia and I really do. In fact... <clears throat> Whether you are of uh, English stock, whether you're Aboriginal, whatever, we're, we're all part of this great nation and, and we all never started here. I mean, we all go back to Noah. We do. We all go back to Noah's Ark. We are all related to Noah. And uh, I'm related to Alex Holloway through Noah. Just think of that. <laughs> um, but I love this country. I do. And whether you've whether your family has been here several hundred years or, or whether you arrived last month, um, we're all Aussies and I love this country. Not because of the, the deserts and the beaches and all the rest of it. That doesn't make a country a country. It's the people. It's the people that make a country great. And Australia has great people. Um, we have great... We had great explorers. Um, human hovel were the first white men, at least, to see the Murray River. And evidently they argued over a frying pan. I don't know if one, one of them copped it on the head or not. Uh, Burke and Wills went from Melbourne and they tried to get up to the Gulf of Carpentaria. And it's said that when they left Melbourne, uh, they had 20 tonnes of equipment with them, including an oak dining table and a Chinese gong. But unfortunately for Burke and Wills, they didn't make it and they perished in the desert. Blacksland, Lawson and Wentworth were the first men to cross the Blue Mountains. And evidently, if the story is true, my great-great-grandfather William Young worked on the road gang under a man named Cox uh, and built the first road over the Blue Mountains to the Bathurst Plains. And then, of course, even before that, there was a fellow named James Cook, possibly the greatest explorer or the greatest navigator this world has ever seen. An incredible man who was a humanitarian, he cared for his crew, Uh, he also had a great philosophy and kindness towards the nationals that he met in his travels. 
And then Australia had great inventors. There was the full-blooded Aboriginal named David Unapon. He was a, an inventor, a writer and a Christian preacher. He was a Bible-believing Christian. And some of his inventions, let me read here, included a centrifugal motor, a multi-radial wheel and a mechanical propulsion device. He was also known as the Australian Leonardo da Vinci, which included a pre-World War I drawings for a helicopter based on the principle of the boomerang and his research into the polarisation of light. He spent much of his time attempting to achieve perpetual motion. He was obsessed with correct English and in speaking tended to use classical English rather than common English. His written language followed the style of Milton and Bunyan. Many times it's recorded that this man was refused accommodation because of his skin colour. But he is recorded to have said, in Christ Jesus, colour and racial distinctions disappear. That was David Napon. And by the way, he's on the $50 bill if you've got one in your wallet. David Warren invented the black box flight recorder. Dr Mark Libwell and Dr Edgar Booth invented the heart pacemaker. Professor Graham Clark invented the cochlear bionic ear. John O'Sullivan invented the Wi-Fi or developed Wi-Fi. Ralph Sarage invented the orbital engine. And I think it was a fellow named Cyril Callister invented the greatest of all Australian inventions, Vegemite. <laughs> and then, of course, we have our great poets. There was Dorothea McKellar, I love a sunburnt country, and so on. There was Henry Lawson, for time means tucker and... Tramp you must, where the scrubs and the plains are wide and with seldom a track that a man can trust or a mountain peak to guide. And there was Banjo Patterson, there was movement at the station for the word had passed around that the colt from old regret had got away and had joined the wild bush horses. He was worth a thousand pound and all the cracks had gathered to the fray. Then, of course, there's our sportsman, Don Bradman, the greatest of them all, and Jack Brabham and Betty Cuthbert and Dawn Fraser and Rod Labour and... and uh, the New South Wales Blues, and uh, the, the, the Rabbitohs, of course, and uh, Yvonne Goolagong, and the great Margaret Court, and now we have uh, um, Ash Barty, a Queenslander, okay. And then, more importantly than that, why do I love Australia? Because of our heritage, and Pastor was talking about that before, of our great preachers. I actually had written down here, Brother Richard Johnson, and there is Jenner of George Street. You ought to read his story one day. He sailed in three different navies before World War II. He said, before I knew Jesus, he said, I lived the wild life of a sailor to the full and became addicted to gambling. Then in 1937, I met my saviour for the first time and my life was transformed. The addiction to gambling was gone forever. In gratitude for his second chance at life through the new birth, he pledged to serve God to the best of his ability. He said, each day my aim was to speak to 10 people about Jesus and I did so for 28 years until Parkinson's disease took its toll. It is estimated that over the years Frank talked to more than 100,000 people with the question, if you were to die tonight, where would you end up, heaven or hell? Jenner of George Street. And then, of course, there was the great man, RBS Hammond uh, from St Barnabas Church in Broadway in Sydney. There was William Lamb, one of the great preachers of Sydney. And my grandpa... Uh, came to the Lord under the ministry of William Lamb and there was Norman Harris and there was John G. Ridley. We have a great Christian heritage in our country, never forget that. And then of course there was Mr. Eternity, 
Arthur Stace. And what an incredible thing. We were living in Brisbane at the time, 31st of December 1999, as the clock ticked over to um, midnight, in Sydney at least. Uh, so what was that? That was whenever that was in... That was 10, 10.59, wasn't it, in Queensland? You're a little bit behind, time, behind the times up here. But I was just amazed in that incredible fireworks on the Sydney Harbour Bridge with that word eternity. <laughs> the eyes of the world, billions of people looking at Sydney, that most spectacular of places in the world for fireworks, and then here they are, this <clears throat> million people on the harbour, many of whom were most probably drunk by that stage, but here was the city of Sydney honouring a Baptist soul winner <laughs> on New Year's Eve. God has the last laugh. But as that song just said there, what's happening to our country? What has happened to our country? So this morning I want to preach for just not too long. Don't get too worried. I think we've got lunch coming up afterwards and I don't want the sausages to get burned. But I want us to maybe just adjust our vision for a few minutes this morning. And so I want to speak to you from this passage in 2 Kings chapter 6. And let's ask for God's blessing. Father, thank you, Lord, for the great encouragement of the service thus far. And, and most probably, Lord, I could read a few verses and sit down and it would have been a good service. But, Lord, I think you have something for us. I believe you have something for us this morning. And you've spoken to me over recent days. And I pray that, Lord, you'll grab hold of some soul this morning. We love our country, Father, and we are saddened to see what is happening in our country. So, Lord, adjust our perspective and retune our vision this morning before Jesus returns. We pray for the filling of the Spirit of God for these few moments together. And we ask in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. The king of Syria, the Bible says in Verse number eight, warred against Israel. Now, it's, it's very, very interesting that the previous chapter is the famous chapter of Naaman. Remember Naaman, seven ducks in a dirty river? Down he went and he came up and so on. And his servants actually played quite a big part in Naaman's cleansing there. Remember Naaman storm, uh, was about to storm off in a huff and basically say, listen, uh, uh, this is, uh, I'm not going, what would I want to go and dip in this filthy Jordan River? And his servant said to him, if he told you to do something really great, you would have gone and done it. All he wants you to do is go and dip in the river. And so he went and he was, his flesh came up like a baby, it says. And it's very interesting, we get here to chapter 6. The king of Syria warred against Israel. And this is, very, very quickly to go through the story that we read, this is what happened. The king of Syria decided he was going to inflict as much damage as he could on Israel. And so he conferred with his servants and I suppose his, advi his military advisors and said, this is what we're going to do here. We're going to wait for the king as he comes or wait for this troop of soldiers from Israel. And so they, they had all this planned. Elisha, the man of God, went and spoke to the king of Israel said, listen, this is what he's planning, so don't go that way. 
And so I can just imagine the king of Syria and his men, they're waiting for the king of Israel to come through and his, his bodyguards or whatever, and he's waiting and they never turned up. So they tried something else, maybe a few days, a few weeks later, and did the same thing. They're going to ambush the king of Israel. And, and, and Elisha said, uh, got the message through to the king of Israel, this is what's going to happen. Don't go by that place. And so they didn't. And here's the, the king of Syria waiting to, to, to jump on the king of Israel and, and never turned up. And this happened not once or twice, the Bible says. Well, he was getting fed up with this, was the old king of Syria. So he got his, his advisors together. He said, listen, someone is here is spying for Israel. And I want to find out which of you fellas here it is. Because there's someone here is crooked. You're being paid off or whatever. Because every single time we try to do something, no one turns up. So who is it? And one of the servants, and my guess is, and it's only a guess, I can't prove it from the Bible, but my guess is that possibly it was one of Naaman's servants now working for the king of Syria. They saw the miracle, they saw what happened to Naaman. Because we're not quite sure of the, the time frame here between uh, the span between chapter 5 and chapter 6. But one of them said, O king, I'll tell you what the problem is, it's that fellow Elisha, he's the man of God, he's the prophet he even knows what you're thinking in your bedroom. So, O king, you've got no hope. <laughs> His God tells him what you're thinking. So the king said, all right, we're going to get this fella. We're going to get him. And so they found out where he was living. It was a little place called Dothan. Now, it was called the city of Dothan, which means it had a wall around it. It was fortified. And I think the historical record shows that it was well fortified. So he says, listen, we, we are going to go. I'm going to take the heavy hitters. We're going to take the soldiers, we're going to take the horses and the chariots and we're going to put a ring of steel around this place and we're going to find this fella and I'll, I'll tell you what, we're going to get him. And so they snuck around Dothan at night. They ringed around the city of Dothan where Elisha lived. Now his servant got up early in the morning. I'd say Elisha was having a sleep in and so the servant got up to do what servants do. I don't know, I suppose he was going down to get a coffee for Elisha or something. I don't know what he was doing going to get the paper but the servant was up really early and uh and he goes out and it's just just starting to get light and he looks up over the wall wow we are surrounded by the heavy artillery the chariots the horses the soldiers wow that is not good notice what he said here uh this is the servant talking to elisha he said, uh, verse 15, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Elisha, I hate to tell you this, but we are surrounded by Syrians. And not just Syrians, we are surrounded by the, the, the heavy hitters. What are we going to do? He was fearful. In fact, the next verse says that. He, that's Elisha, answered, fear not. Fear not. Now, Elisha's servant was afraid, and that was obvious, because all he could see at that stage was the Syrians. He was surrounded by the enemy, and he was fearful. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. <clears throat> you know, Christians aren't supposed to live a life of fear. God has not given to us a spirit of fear. The Bible says that, 2 Timothy 1, 7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Christians are supposed to have common sense, but not fear. We are not to live in fear. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't have common sense, and I'm not, not saying we shouldn't do the right thing, but we must not live in fear. And Pastor was mentioning before about a great way to influence others for the gospel is the way we live. Christians are not supposed to live in fear. This is what Elisha said to his servant. He said, fear not. And then he said this. He says, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I can just imagine the servant thinking to himself, what's he talking about? There's two of us. (laughs) And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of the Syrians. They meant business. So how can we be more than them? Pretty good question. So this is what Elisha said in the next verse. He said, Lord, he prayed, he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So Elisha said, Lord, please open his eyes and give him a different view of things. Give him a different perspective of what's around. Lord, take his eyes off the the enemy and let him see the actual state of things. And he did. I believe there was a whole battalion of angels there with fiery chariots and fiery horses, whatever they were. You say, they're angels? Yep, there's angels. They're all through the Bible. And they're ministering spirits sent to help us. And looking at some of the drivers in Coffs Harbour, some Christians in Coffs Harbour, I reckon, had heaps of angels on their car. (laughs) I reckon they have a few on the front, a few on the back. At least I reckon that's the case by looking how they drive. But God sends angels. And this fellow looked up and he saw you. He looked up, his eyes were opened, and some way God made him able to see the, the angelic beings. And then he thought, yep, Elisha was true. There's more with us than with them. There's more with us than with them. And there's such a lot of truth in this particular story. You know, one, someone said, one man plus God is a majority. One man plus God is a majority. Now, the unsaved, those who do not know Christ, those who do not belong to God, they are blinded in their perspective. The Bible says that. Let me read a verse to you. 2 Corinthians 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So listen, don't be too hard on the lost that are terrified. Don't be too hard on them. Because remember, they do not have the hope that we have. And you can understand someone that does not believe in God, someone that has not trusted Christ... I can understand them being terrified in the modern world, in this current world. So don't be too hard on them because their eyes outside of Christ are blinded. But to be effective servants of God, we need to have the right perspective. So what was Elisha saying to his servant? Don't focus on the Syrians, focus on God's army. In other words, open your eyes and look up. Open your eyes and look up. And that's my application for this morning. As Christians, we, we look around the world and we, all, all, all we see so often is just the Syrian army. We see wickedness. We see disease. We see wars and rumours of war everywhere. 
We see corruption in high places. And if that's all we focus on, we're going to be defeated. That's the truth. We're going to be defeated. And by the way, a little bit of media goes a long way. (laughs) If you spend all your time watching the news, you're going to be depressed. Guaranteed. If you focus on the Syrian army, on the obstacles, on the enemy, you will be fearful and you will be discouraged. No, we need to open our eyes and look up. And we need to see that there is a God that's above all. We need to see that there is a God. He's allowed things to happen in the world at the moment and it's all happening according to his pattern, to his plan. And it's going to, God's plan is going to take place. But there is a God in heaven. We need to get the right perspective on that. We need to, we need to make sure that we have a right perspective on life and ministry. And when we look at our country and we see our country going down the spiritual <coughs> slide, someone's, what's that saying? Australia is going to hell in a handbasket. And we can be really discouraged with that. But my friends, we need to open our eyes and look up and realise there's a God up there. There's a God up there. We need to make sure we have the right perspective on God's word. More than ever, we need the Bible. More than ever, every morning you need to get up and read God's word. Every morning. More than ever, we need God's word. We know the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit. But we have this wonderful thing called the Bible. And we need it more than ever. We need to have a right perspective on God himself. Psalm 8 verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You know God still has an excellent name in all the earth in his creation? I've got this crazy theory that all the, Coffs Harbour, we must have just about all the noisy birds in Australia. In fact, I think they all live in my street. And the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was, it was about half past four in the morning. I most probably should be getting up. I normally get up early, but not quite that early. And there was, I don't know how many kookaburras there were outside our window. <laughs> laughing. Now, I'm not sure what a group of kookaburras is called. A laugh of kookaburras. <laughs> Whatever it is. A pride of kookaburras. A mob of kookaburras. But they were laughing... And then once they finished, the rainbow lorikeet start. And then the storm bird. And then the butcher bird. And then some other birds I don't, I just know their sound. And every morning this happens. They're going off their heads, making noise. Most probably saying, listen, you need to get up and read the Bible. But my theory is, I reckon they're praising the Lord. (laughs) I can't prove it. I can't prove it. But I reckon they are. That's my guess. Those little birds are praising the Lord. And and they know, in some way, I reckon they know that their creator understands when they need to be fed. And the Bible says when one, one sparrow dies, God knows. God knows. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And then the Bible, in, in Psalm 8, verse 1, and there it says, Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Sometimes we need to take our eyes off the Syrians and look up at the stars. 
I know in the city it's a bit hard to see the stars sometimes. You, can't, you can never see the stars in Coffs Harbour because it's always raining. But I know the stars are up there, somewhere up there above the clouds. You know, in 1977, uh, and this happened within a couple of months, they sent up, NASA sent up uh, a spacecraft called the Voyager. There's Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. And you know, they're still travelling. They've actually gone past Pluto. They're outside our solar system and they're travelling, they're still going and they're still transmitting some information back to Earth. I th- they're so far out, I think it takes 23 hours for, at the speed of light for the transmission from the voyagers to get back to Earth. That's how far out they are. And they're travelling at just over 60,000 kilometres an hour. And now they're out into, it's called interstellar space. They're gone. And they'll just keep going, I suppose, 60,000 kilometres an hour. Now, do you know, someone has calculated for Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 to reach our nearest star, which is 4.2 light years away, at the current speed it will take 77,000 years. 77,000 years. And for Voyager to cross just the Milky Way galaxy at that speed will take 1 billion years. And then I read just, I like reading stuff like that. You can't think about it too much because your head wants to explode. But I read this morning that the latest estimate was that there are 200 trillion galaxies out there. I don't know how you get to that. How do you you get that guess? I mean, the universe is big. (laughs) The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handy word. So if you feel that you're being ringed in by the enemy, and sometimes that happens, the Syrians are amassing the heavy hitters, sometimes you just need to look up and say, yeah, there's a God up there, he made all that. Yeah, and God made the birds that praise him every day. And God made the stars, and we don't know what's out there. Well, we'll maybe one day God will take us out there. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. So we need to make sure that our perspective on the Bible and our perspective on God is correct. Sometimes we just need to sit back and realise how great God is. We realise that God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. That's why we don't build cathedral. We don't need to build a cathedral. We don't need to build a basilica. We don't need statues and stuff like that. That's not God doesn't live there. God lives in people. God lives in his children. Our bodies become the temple or the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And we need to get a right perspective on life after death. You know, we we do not sorrow as others which have no hope. And the Apostle Paul said, I would rather depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He said, but it's needful for me to hang around for a little bit here. And as I said, we understand that the lost, those who do not have the hope that we have, they are terrified of life after death. And rightly so, they should be terrified. But as Christians, no, 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 that's not us. I preached a funeral, I think it was about uh, two months ago, maybe three months ago, for a a dear old friend in our church at Coffs Harbour. In fact, I preached two funerals there in the space of about a month. And one fella, he was, uh, Gordon was 89. 
and he had more, more health problems than you could poke a stick at. And about three or four years ago, his, his heart's been bad for many years. Three or four years ago, he was in his doctor's surgery in Coffs Harbour, waiting to see his GP. He had a massive heart attack in the doctor's surgery. So the doctor runs out and, you know, boom, 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 and they get the ambulance and so on and, and uh, put the things on him and bang, eventually they bring him back. And he opens his eyes, he looks up and he sees his doctor, a lady. And old Gordon said, he said, don't you ever do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And the amount of times I would go and visit Gordon over the years, even up until not long before he died, and we would sit down and he'd have tears streaming down his cheeks saying, I just want to go to heaven. (laughs) Why doesn't God take me to heaven? I said, brother, I don't know. But the timekeeper, the great timekeeper of the universe... He's got the time down, ready. When you're ready to go, you'll go. People would say, you're crazy. You're crazy. No, 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 we've just got a different perspective on things. To be with Christ is far better. I'm going to bring this to a close. We we need a right perspective on, on money, on marriage, on family. We need to make sure we have a right perspective on on the world in the last days. We, under, we understand God's plan for planet Earth. It's, it's here in the Bible. We understand that. We are living in the last days. I truly believe the last days of this age, the church age. And the trumpet is going to sound very soon. Hopefully in my lifetime, I can't, we don't know. No one knows the day or the hour. But hopefully in my lifetime, in your lifetime, the trumpet will sound and we'll be with the Lord. And things are going to get worse for planet Earth before they get better. But it is going to get better for planet Earth. That, tri- that uh, millennium is going to be awesome. But eventually there'll be, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And the chaos in the world that we find ourselves in, that's to be expected. We expect that. As the songwriter said, I've been reading in the Bible about the ending of the age and one thing is for certain it grows closer every day but I'm not concerned about the way it's going to end because I've read the back of the book and we win. Perspective. Lastly this morning, we need to have the right perspective on the lost. On the lost. Jesus said in John chapter 4, he's talking to his disciples and they were in Samaria. Who's teaching his disciples? Looked out on the paddock there and all the Samaritan workers with their white caps on. What did he say? He said, Hey, fellas, you're Jews, but lift up your eyes. Look out on the field, it's white, ready to harvest. It's ready to harvest. In Jude, it says we need to snatch them from the burning. Yes, the world's going to end. Yes, the, this age is drawing to a close. We understand that. But brothers and sisters, we have work to do. Now is not the time to batten down the hatches. This is not the time. Now is the time to hoist the mainsail. Now is the time to open your eyes and look up and realise, yeah, things are getting bad, but we need to reach who we can while we can. And Jesus said, the night comes when no man can work. You know what we need? We need some new visionaries. We need some new visionaries. 
pastor was sharing before about just a handful of churches in this country, at least independent Baptist churches. And I think that, num- I think that number actually is shrinking over the last, say, 20 years or so. I think we used to have close to 200, like 20 years ago, from memory. That number is shrinking. And I'm not saying independent Baptists are the be-all and end-all. God can use Anglicans and, and Union Baptists and so on. Understand all that. But we are what we are. We are what we are. But we need some visionaries or visioneers, people that will get their eyes off the Syrian army, off the enemy, and look up and say, yep, yep, we have a God. We have a God and God has a plan. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to give my life to the baubles of this world. I'm going to go to the mission field. I'm going to go to Brisbane and some, I'm going to go down the road and start a church. Well, not right down the road, but you know, they're far enough away from Good Shepherd. (laughs) You know what I mean. We need some visionaries. You know what we need? We need some, we need some more Wayne Shemishes. Serious. We need some Wayne Shemishes. You say, yeah, but... Yeah, but look at all the support. He went to Thailand, whenever that was. When was that, Suzanne? 15 years ago. When he was a young man. He's not so young now, but unfortunately, he's still younger than me. (laughs) So that means he's a young man. He went to Thailand. You've heard the story many times. Turned up at the airport. I don't think he had a million dollars in his bank account. I don't think he had a briefcase stuffed with Thai Bart. I don't think he knew any Thai. Did he know Kom Kum Kap? He might, have, he might not have even known Kom Kum Kap, thank you, which is the only word of Thai that I know. He didn't know any of that. He just knew that God wanted him to go to Thailand. Leave Good Shepherd, go to Thailand. But brother, you've got this great ministry here. God's blessing you. God wants me in Thailand. But have you seen all the enemies that are over there? And if you want to know about enemies, about Syrians ringing, go and talk to the Shemishes. They know all about it, about the evil one, about the enemies of the gospel. They know all about that. And if Pastor and Mrs. Shemish had just focused their eyes on the Syrians, they would never have gone to Thailand. And I'm sure that they were not flushed with cash. They just knew that God wanted them there and they went. And we know now that God plus the Shemishes is a majority and God has done the miraculous work over there. Miracle, miracle work. You can't explain what's happened there apart from God. How about you? How about you? focus on the Syrians, you won't move. You'll be, you'll be like the servant and say, what am I going to do? He was fearful. Someone needs to open their eyes and look up and say, yep, there's a God up there. This is what I'm called to. I have no idea how things are going to work out. I just know that that's what God wants me to do. There's got to be one person here somewhere. Yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to go to the mission field. I'm going to go to South America. I'm going to go to Australia. 
which is, but we are basically a heathen country. Just admit it. We are, a heathen, we are as heathen a country as Thailand, as Argentina. We're just heathens. We're, just, we're sophisticated heathens. That's what we are. And I'm all, I'm all for foreign missions. But in reality, the mission field has come to Australia. It has. I've got to finish. I've gone over time. Thank you for being patient. Get your eyes off the Syrians. Get your eyes off the enemy. <clears throat> Get your eyes on the Lord. Get your eyes on the Lord. We serve a wonderful saviour. The future for us Christians is so bright, it's blindingly bright. Let, let's get busy to, to help to do our bit, to follow God's leading on our lives for this great country of ours. <coughs> Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for... We can't even explain the blessings you have poured out on this country. What, Lord, why are we so blessed I can't figure it out, Lord, as to why you've just poured all the blessings on this one country in the world. I don't know. But dear Lord, we are in desperate straits, spiritually speaking. Lord, encourage someone today to lift their eyes up, to open their eyes and look up. Encourage someone, Lord, to surrender and obey this day. Bless us, we close, dear Lord. Amen. Preacher, thank you.